Hey there, it's Mike Tramp, and you're listening to White Line Fever, where rock and roll is still alive like it always has been and it always will be. Welcome to White Line Fever episode 67, and it's a first for three reasons. It's our first all rugby league episode. It's our first all-talk episode, and it, no, it was going to be our first one-guest episode, but I believe we might be stuffing that up by having a second guest. But I've got uh, Steve Turner here, currently of the Canterbury Bulldogs, former New South Wales winger. How are you? I'm good, Steve. How are you? Good, good, good. We've just been... Now, there's a lot to talk about, but we've just been having a chat. We've got David Spall listening in, because he always listens into interviews to make sure no one says anything out of turn uh, from the Bulldogs, uh, media manager. But um, we've been talking about a lot, uh, about... about social media and about online and and that's a a really big part of your job here at the Bulldogs we're in the offices at Belmore by the way um it's obviously the the possibilities are endless really but what do you do now as far as content and all that sort of stuff goes yeah look it's certainly um as you said the what you can do is certainly um not restricted but um yeah look for me obviously being a past player and um, involved in the game for a long period of time as a player, get an understanding of um, what's required from a player, what the fans want to see. Um, and from a content point of view, uh, the biggest engagement or the biggest draw card is anything to do with footy, anything to do with football related. Obviously, uh, higher profile players, a lot of the fans and supporters are interested in. But the quirky stuff, the stuff that um, the everyday partner, the everyday fan member doesn't get to see. So action cam stuff, training snapshots, you know, what it's like to be in the day of a player, um, you know, what they get up to on a week-to-week basis uh, is what the fan wants to see. And um, a lot of the history stuff is good here at the club too. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Bulldogs have been around since 1935 and been a very successful club, especially during the 80s, obviously the early 90s as well. Um, and the 2004 Premiership and most recently two of the last three grand finals. And history pieces are a big um, draw card for the club because... Um, if you can create a theme, a uh, flashback Friday, a throwback Thursday, or a hump day Wednesday, or whatever you want it to be, um, then it generates a lot of interest because of the fan base and the knowledge of a lot of our fans want to see some history pieces. Obviously, we've got a huge range of uh, rep stars that have come through here. So a lot, I've focused a lot uh, over the last couple of years on history pieces. I mean, this year, just generating a lot about you know, what's happening here at training, what's happening here at Belmore, because as I said, it's what people don't see is what they want to see. Mm-hmm. So obviously, um, with the nines coming up, uh, in a few weeks' time, it's an opportunity to tr- trial and error a few things over there in Auckland because it is a bit more, I suppose, laid back, a bit more relaxed environment. Um, you know, a lot of all sixteen teams are in the same sort of frame of mind where it's uh, play, you know, the razzle dazzle type of footy, but also enjoy uh, the four days in New Zealand. So it's a great opportunity to trial and error a few things. So, and for me, being a past player, I've got uh, you know love the game and understanding of the game and, and the like. So. Um, the man himself, Des, he trusts me. Uh, I know he can be tough <laughs> at times. He? He's not here, he might be listening outside. But yeah, look, it's, yeah, Des can be tough at times. And, um, but he understands, you know, there's a role for me to play. And I understand the boundaries that are set, you know, within him. And obviously me being there before, it's much easier access being a player. But um, it's something I enjoy. Um, as I said, I have a passion for and love for the game. And um, there's certainly avenues and branches and ideas that I want to explore moving forward. 
and one being what we're doing now is podcasting you know, through the Bulldogs website. You know, I do have to forward the email of this file to Des to vet it before I can post it, so I just thought I'd let you know that. But um, this being talking about social media and online, I should have. I usually I'm supposed to start the program with some plugs. Uh, follow us on Twitter, White Line Fever Podcast, WLF Podcast. Uh, you can also come and uh, uh, like us on Facebook. Uh, it's just White Line Fever. And uh, whitelinefever.ning.com is the site for the uh, podcast. And there's a little button down in the left corner that says Donate. It's not free to do podcasts. You've got to pay for hosting and all, all that sort of stuff. And uh, Steve Turner's fee is very high indeed. What are the challenges, though? I mean, it's all very new. Um, the, the, this you know, uh, IT and, and social media, online content for the clubs. Is it right that Telstra technically own it all? Yeah, they do. So that is a challenge, um, obviously, with the rights deal, you know, TV, digitally as well. So that certainly is a challenge. And um, it's about, as I said, creating content that you can create that not the everyday punter can see. Obviously, there's, you know, you get your post-match highlights, your press conferences, um, you know, your team lists and all that sort of stuff. But it's the stuff behind the scenes that um, everyone doesn't get to see. So there's certainly challenges that come with this. Uh, obviously, NRL.com sort of own the 16 clubs and uh, own that content. But you know, one avenue that you know I'd like to see uh, move forward for clubs is sharing content between the clubs. Um, I looked at it from our point of view as the Bulldogs last year, leading into the grand final against the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Yeah, the Rabbitohs, the history-making grand final, they won, hadn't beat, hadn't won one for 43 years. Um, but you know, you look at some of the players they there: Greg Inglis, Sam Burgess, George Burgess, Adam Reynolds, Luke Keary, Young Dylan Walker. So you know, being able to share the content, you know, what the, those players are thinking, what South is doing leading up to that grand final, being able to utilise that on our website to generate more interest to our website, generate different content. But in saying that, you also get the opportunity to showcase you know what other clubs are doing, but. All the clubs are reaping the benefits then because... But the, um, the, the sharing is not good at the moment, right? No, it's not. It's not. It's something that we need to get better at. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that I think that needs to happen is sharing of club content because mm-hmm. no doubt a lot of the Bulldogs supporters and members um, just go to bulldogs.com.au for their content. So if they have the opportunity to see what, for instance, round one we're playing the Penrith Panthers, um, what a number of their players' thoughts are that week, what Ivan Cleary's thoughts are going into round one, being able to utilise that on our site... Um, to generate more interest uh, for the game, get more members to the game, more supporters, get more bums on seats. And that was a big thing that I suppose the game scene you know, saw last year was you know, some of the crowd numbers were down and many people were asking why. But if we as clubs can help promote games, uh, I know it is round one, it is an away game for the Bulldogs, but you know, if we can help promote away games, as much as we do promote our home games, then it's going to generate more interest. You get more numbers, more seats, more fans uh, at these games. So generating club content and sharing club content is a big focus uh, from my point of view and something that I know a number of the other clubs want to do, Mm. but it's about doing it consistently. And that's what um, the consumer wants is consistent content, um, day-to-day content, is um, is is a must, and sharing content is something that I'd love to see uh, move forward. Now, I know some uh, journalists who won't report stuff that's on websites because um, they don't get to ask follow-up questions, and they also think it encourages uh, um, um, stuff to be put behind walls where players and coaches or whoever's in the news that day, whoever you're interviewing, they can avoid being challenged. 
they can avoid um, um, answering tough questions. You can just put spin on it and put it out there. What do you think of that? And what's your approach to that when you've got a sticky situation, something that's a bit controversial? Um, do do you decide, well, we don't want to put this bloke up in front of the media because he's not going to cope with it, so we're just going to ask him some soft questions on our website? Or, or, or when you go into that situation, do you try to be a bit hard-assed about it and do you try to ask the sort of questions that the media generally would ask? Well, it's, it is a fine line because, um, you know, I'd love to see controversy <laughs> topics to a, a controversy corner or uh, a piece of content on you. Uh, website on a weekly basis about the controversy that's happening in the game because of myself being a past player and have a love for the game and understanding of the game and uh, because you know we all know when something big or something major happens whether it be controversy everyone wants to consume it everyone wants to hear about it read about it um, see what's happening uh, but it is a fine line because as you said reporting on it um, is tough because the as you said the external media outlets will report. Bulldogs.com.au it's come from that source so that is the hard line um, that so generally a lot of the content you just is, need to employ independent people. Uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head to uh, <laughs> to say to uh, shoot your bullets for you. I guess it is, and that's I suppose that is you know you look at the way the NFL structured even the EPL clubs. It's all all their media and all their all their media is run internally. So mm. in essence, if you want to consume, for instance, Manchester United content, you've got to sign up and be a member mm. um, and consume Manchester United content like the NFL. I know a few of the boys, Josh Reynolds and Trent Odkinson, recently come back from uh, the States overseas and they toured the Giants uh, set up there and Giants TV. I know the boys were on set there. They went backstage, met Eli Manning and spoke to Josh Reynolds. He's there's a time of his life over the Christmas break. I think it's much easier to crack a chat with him than it is with Josh Reynolds. <laughs> it is. And, and he's one of the good ones. You know? He is. So, <laughs> and that was the thing that both boys said was yeah. that uh, the NFL clubs run their own media, run yeah. their own, produce their own content, put yeah. their own content out. So but they also make the athletes very available to to the to the mainstream media as well, don't they? I mean, you have to say more than we do here currently. They do, and obviously, yeah. Um, you, yeah, it is, and that's what I suppose a lot of um, your media outlets and mm. yeah, everyone, yeah, the punters, the fans want to see more access to players, more access to coaches, and I'm a big fan of that because I just see. Um, your five-minute interview with an, a TV, radio, and newspaper reporter is part of your job. Mm. Um, You're an entertainer, aren't you? You, that, you? The money going into your pocket is coming from TV rights and media rights. So if you were just playing in front of people who walk through the gate of Belmore every weekend, you'd be on a lot less money. You know? Exactly. And, and membership, you know, <laughs> yeah. people are paying X amount of dollars to be um, members. You know, people are paying upwards of $1,000, $1,500 to be a top premium member for your club. So they want to hear and see... Um, players have more access to the players and you know being a professional football is not just about turning up a training and um, getting your job done at training playing your game on the weekend and putting your feet up after that it's it's everything else that comes with uh, being a professional football whether it be um, community requests um, media requests you know doing interviews as I said some some interviews may go for five minutes some go for 10 15 whatever it is mm-hmm. but that's, that time taken out of your schedule. It can't be tasking. Um, you can't lose focus. And for me, I think uh, the more access we can have to our players, whether it be clubs, radio, TV, newspaper, the better it is for the game. It's going to grow the game. People are going to want to see see more. You're going to get more bums on seats, which is what we harped on last year about some of the crowd figures that we've seen. Um, and I think, as you said, but the thing with the NFL, it's just on a bigger scale. They've got more money, um, more, you know, more listeners, more fans, um, you know, the players are earning 
multiple million dollar contract compared to our players, but um, it's a step moving forward that we need to, I think, personally, have more access to players to give the consumer you know, what they want. I want to, we're going to talk about, because you're in a, not a unique, but a pretty um, rare situation of being a top-line player and then working in a club when you still could be playing age-wise. So I want to talk to your ideas about the, uh, the, the challenges the modern players face. And we're going to have Anthony Quinn from the RLPA come and join us. But before, just to finish what I was saying before, what happens when you, you've got a situation where there's a bloke in the news like Jacob Loco recently? You, are you sometimes in a situation where... You, you have to kind of ask him a question so he can just make a statement without answering any questions, or do you shy away from doing that sort of stuff? Do you think there's limited value in doing that? Or, or well, it just depends. Obviously, the Jacob one, to, mm. you know, there's a court process to go with that. Mm. It's um, a matter that happened. You know, it's the you know it's an offence that we see happen every day. Mm. You know, people get caught drink driving, and it's mm. unfortunate for Jacob. But for instance, last year. The Josh Reynolds incident when in Brisbane, I think it was round 23 it was, mm. um, you know, you had the, the couple of head eyes and the mm. trip, oh, Ben Barber. And, you he know, wouldn't ne- talk to us. <laughs> no, and the next morning, um, mm. you know, Raylene, Des, myself and Spoolie, um, you know, through um, Dave Spoolie, the media manager, Raylene and Des, they spoke about um, putting something out, mm. Josh speaking about, um, you know, his actions and, mm. you, know, what he, you know, what he meant, what, he, what was going to happen. So we put that out. Um, through the club's website, we put it out the next morning via a video, and obviously because everyone wanted to hear about um, Josh Reynolds and you know what he was thinking at the time, and you know it's unlike Josh, and you know for us as a club that was probably one of the biggest viewed videos of the season um, because I suppose I was thought was great because we got on the front foot, um, sort of in, in some ways he got to put his point out. Um, from a club's point of view, the members got to hear from Josh, the supporters, the fans, the rugby league fraternity. But then the, the opportunity that we have con- as a club, you have control of what you can ask a player and what you can put out. Mm. And, and still, you still have an impact because external outlets still grab those grabs that Josh mm. Reynolds uses. So there is an opportunity when things do happen um, on the field, off the field, to get on the front foot about it. Mm. Um, and obviously in that case, the Josh Reynolds one, we did because... Um, everyone wanted to hear about it. He's such a high-profile player. And um, we got on the front foot and spoke about um, that and put it to bed. I know external media would love to question Josh about it. I but think I, asked, I was outside the sheds that night asking David if I could. <laughs> he was. And, um, but, yeah, look, it's um, one of those tough ones because as a player, when things like that happen in the heat of the moment, you don't want to speak about mm-hmm. it. But, obviously, Josh slept on it. Raylene and Des and um, Dave Spall, the media manager, got together and thought it was good that we put it out and... I thought it was I thought it was the right thing yeah. too because you sort of you know put it to bed straight away and then you waited until the judiciary unfolded and went from there. I'll put this to you though, like now with the clubs obviously wanting to get as much content as they can for the members, but they're not going to put negative stuff up. They're not going to put you know some bloke uh, fell out of a pub drunk last night. Let's have a chat to him. So what happens is what all that's left for the traditional media is the negative stuff because you're actually got a you've actually got a mortgage on all the positive stuff now and and. You know that that seems is that a concern? Do you think? Oh, I I think it can be, but I still think um, for us as clubs, you know, we and as you said, I'm in a new, unique position being a mm. player. I you know, know what it's like to be a player, and the players understand what I'm there for to do. But I still think there's a, such a huge important for external media because mm. have such a a big hit, big audience, the mm. newspapers, radio, TV, for our players to apply themselves to that because mm. we're a small branch of that, the club networks, um, and I still think um, 
mainstream media said TV, radio, papers still have a big part to play and can still write those good stories, but it's um, about you know the players wanting to do that. The players, as I said earlier, it's not just about tra- turning up here and training and playing footy. It's about doing the other stuff to help promote you, mm. your brand, the club, um, you improve as a player, and you know when you leave the game, you want to leave the game as a better person than you did when you come into the game and you walk away from the game with life skills and being able to handle yourself in a conversation, talk to someone for more than five minutes. Mm. Um, and I think mainstream media still have a big part to play in the game these days moving forward. Although clubs do push their own content and try and keep stuff away, I still think mainstream media has a huge part to play in our game. Okay, this was going to be the only one guest episode we've ever had, but Anthony Quinn's just walked in and ruined that. But um, I just... Jump in time. <laughs> Jump in time. But, but we'll start with you. Like what it, Your change of perspective now, Steve, being... Um, um, not being a player anymore, and then being able to look at the playing group within a club from the outside, what are the big things you noticed that you didn't sort of weren't appreciative of when you were um, a, a part of that playing group? What, when you look at when you look at the playing group now, what, what, what observations do you have? Oh, when I look at it now, it's the the pressure and the demands that the players are on these days, um, the requirements of them. Mm. Um, when you look at I suppose last season, for instance, the end of the season with the Four Nations, we've got the nine starting at the end of January. Um, just the, the length of the season, the demands, the workload of our players that um, has become, um, you know, things like sports science, GPS, you know, the supplements, um, your diet, um, you know, what you do away from training is so crucial to your preparation. These are, I remember when I first started at Penrith back in 2001, 2002, under Johnny Lang's regime, and they won their comp in 2003. You wouldn't have been peeling uh, the skin off the chicken back then, would you? No, I was. Um, I remember we, in, even in preseason, it was four days a week training. You have Wednesdays off, the weekends off. Um, there was n- nothing such as GPS. There was. I remember when I first started, I was part time, so working was a big part. You started to earn a living, and if you couldn't make training because you're caught up at work, that was just accepted because um, you, as a player, had to. You as a person. You've got to work, you've got to live, you've got to earn a living. And obviously these days, you fast forward 12 years and, um, as I said, the demands and pressures on players, pre-season training. Our players, for instance, are here Monday to Friday, generally from about 8 till 3, 8 till 4. So um, that's where the workload is put into them. But then you look at on the the Four Nations players, like our, the Bulldogs Four Nations players, they only come back at the start of this week. And in essence, they've got four or five weeks to get ready for a rugby league season. We all know what a rugby league season is like. 26 rounds, trials, rep footy, um, and thank Christ there's no um, World Cups or Four Nations or Tours at the end of the year because the workload on our players is so big now than it used to be. And I think uh, that's a big part of um, the game um, fixing or having a look at because um, the best example that I remember last year was after Origin 1, um, Storm skipper Cameron Smith and Queensland skipper the Australian skipper spoke about player welfare and player burnout um, and it was sort of an item or an agenda that the NRL hasn't really looked at but mm. I think it's a must that the game needs to look at because um, we can't continue to have the schedule like it is this year we've got nines all-stars you've got um, you know, South Sydney you know, travelling over for the uh, World Club Challenge you've also got a couple of other clubs competing in that World World Club Challenge tournament, whatever it is, prior to the World Club Challenge. And so the workload on our players is so big. And, you know, they're coming out of school, 17, 18-year-olds, chasing their dream um, and trying to get an opportunity. 
Um, but I think you know the workload and demand is something that needs to be looked at because mm. we can't continue to you know treat our players and have them play like they are and expect them to deliver on a week-to-week basis when there's so much pressure and demand put on. Which is a great segue for Anthony Quinn. How are you, Anthony? Good, thanks, guys. So uh, you, you've been here with a, um, for a meeting with the dogs. That uh, player burnout issue, uh, are we any closer to resolving it? Well, hopefully. we um, Over the last probably 12 months, um, I know Michael Crocker, um, who works at the RLPA, has been trying to organise and has been working on scheduling meetings with the NRL and also all the rep players and also the coaches involved. Um, for some reason or another, those meetings have been deferred um, mm-hmm. a number of times. Um, mm-hmm. But internally, between the NRL and the players, we've been discussing the best scenario. And I know Michael has been talking with a lot of the coaches and the football managers on um, some proposals mm-hmm. that's going to try and help the players. Um, one, to better recover um, post-season and during the season, and also with their player development and giving them more time to um, to look at tertiary education as well, to a bit of um, just to get away from the game so they can also recover mentally. Would standalone origins be a part of the solution, maybe with one international for other other countries during that period? Would that would the players be happy with that or would that be a step in the right direction or don't know, we'll have to you'd have to ask a lot of the players mm-hmm. um, and I know the players are the major stakeholder in all that and you always have to try and um, please those guys and myself working with the RLPA that's what we do um, mm-hmm. we know that there's a lot of other stakeholders within the game um, and for us we're just trying to work with everyone to create best practice and the best environment for our players and I know from a point of view Steve from a club's point of view the origin period it's about a third of the season. It has a huge impact on the club's crowd numbers. Um, obviously, you've got star players not playing, and if they pick up injuries, um, for instance, Josh Morris during the season of 2014, um, they, the origin team for round for the first game was picked at the end of round 10, and you know when Josh Morris picked up that knee injury um, throughout the origin period, he didn't play again until round 20, so he mm. missed 10 weeks of the season, mm. um, yeah, picking up that injury in origin. But as I said, a third of the season is affected by the origin period and uh, yeah, clubs have buys we all seen what happens with the crowds during the year but then with the origin being so big there's such huge coverage for um, the origin which everyone wants to be a part of but the club coverage um, gets limited because mm. some weekends there's only four or five games you know rep players are out teams have got buys um, so I think as you know I think it's a, another avenue that the game could look at is shorten that origin period or we do something where teams maybe during their own period go to country areas, rural areas to play games because we've seen here sometimes during their own period some grounds are getting some people are getting less than ten thousand fans um, at their games through their gates mm. and you know if you can fill a country community a rural ground with eight to ten thousand people how good is that going to look mm. whereas you got some of these big you know you got some grounds um, filled with you know less than ten thousand people whereas you know clubs really suffer in that origin period because um, you don't have your star players playing. And as a member, you want to see your star players playing each week. So as I said earlier, members play a premium to be a club member. Um, and if a third of the season is affected because they haven't got origin players, players get injured, there's buys, um, then it certainly needs to be looked at. Anthony, what's got better for players since you retired and what's got worse? 
Um, I think worse, I'll start worse, is I'd say the scheduling. Um, the I know the NRL and the community, the clubs, the players, they all talk about the player burnout issue, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, player welfare. Um, I think the NRL have gone towards more of the commercial side of things mm. and they've tried to pack as many games as possible in mm. to, to look at the dollar signs. Mm. Um, so for me... There's a lot of talk around player welfare, player burnout, but it's come to a stage is um, from the NRL, you've spoken about it enough, mm. it's time to sit down and really nut this out mm. because um, we don't want to see in a year or two time that you know young Sione Matautia mm. is burnt out at age 24. Mm. You know, he's, he started, he had a great season last year from the under-20s and made his way up all the way to to Australia, yet they're throwing the nines in and then for some players they're playing all-stars, for the guys that won the grand final, they're going overseas to play and then the inclusion of a couple of other teams mm. playing the Super League teams and then the season starts. So f- for now, now the NRL for the, for the players has just turned into a 12-month comp. Mm. Um, so... Something really needs to be done and very very soon. I know <clears throat> where which will be one of the agendas on our um, CBA review coming up in March. Mm. That we'll be sitting down and definitely discussing it seriously with the NRL on, on what um, what needs to change. I suppose what's improved is the money. <laughs> well, it has, and it has, and yeah. also I think the product does as well. Mm. So, and the product being the players, mm. um, that's also improved and. Um, and all the players have got bigger, stronger and faster and mm. it's a more exciting game. Yeah, it's about scheduling too, Stephen. You know, Anthony being a former teammate of mine at Melbourne and um, you know, both been on the other side of the fence now. You spoke about scheduling. It's also the importance of, you know, we've spoken about it, is educating our blokes to have something for, to look at life after footy because we all know your career comes to an end. My, I, my career cut short, injury... Anthony's the same. We've seen so many blokes' careers cut short to injury. But with the way the schedule is, and as I said earlier, the training schedules are something the opportunity to do something away from the game is so limited in pre-season because of how heavy the schedule is. Mm. And with restricted, um, like with the length of the season, as I said, the four nations, some of our, some four nations blokes have got four weeks to be ready for, five weeks ready to be start playing footy, whereas... Another, a number of other players have had 10 weeks under their belt to get ready for a season and how long the season. So I think the importance of blokes having a balance away from the game is super important. I know it's something that Quinny is a huge fan of too because you could have something behind you because, mm. um, as I said, your career comes to an end and a lot of we see a lot of blokes, past players, who've really struggled in that transition phase from going from a footy player um, to the workforce because things certainly change. Your income changes, your lifestyle changes... Um, hours change, um, the holidays change, so it's a big adjustment to go from a footy player, which is everyone's dream. You want to um, do something you love, um, but to go back into the real world and workforce and earn a living, put food on the table for your kids, um, it's tough. And mm-hmm. I think um, that's a big thing moving forward. That I know Anthony is a big fan of is giving an opportunity for blokes to do something away from the game, clear their minds, whether it be study, uni, TAFE, whatever it is, it's hugely important. That, that, which brings us to something we were just discussing in the car on the way here. We were just in a cafe and two players come in who are workmates of uh, yourself, Steve and David, who's silently listening on. <laughs> and, and 
if we worked in an accountancy firm, unless you actually hated the guy, they'd just say hello. But the players kind of just stick to themselves and they sit down and they didn't really... Now, it could, I'll just say it's because I was here, but let's imagine I wasn't there and that happened. Are we, like, are we... Are, the players are very super focused during your career and you two would have experienced this. During your career, you're just super focused on what you've got to do. You've got the coach in your ear, don't say anything, don't do this, don't... And, and it must be a, a completely different perspective when you retire and you start to look at, at the... Um, the, the behaviour, I suppose, or the social skills of the players from the outside, and are we sort of preparing? Are we doing enough to sort of prepare the players post career to just kind of be able to start a conversation with anyone about anything and to be? Because I know that guys tend to have their blinkers on at the peak of their careers. They look straight ahead. They walk into a room and they kind of, you know what I mean? They, they don't really, um, they're not really open to uh, to start a conversation with just anybody. They just know they've got to do, they've got to sign autographs, they've got to do an interview, they've got to train, and they just do that. Not in all cases, but in some cases. And the guys who are more social and the guys who, who kind of have a bit of spark about them, they might be unpopular with their coaches during their career, but after their career they tend to have more of a chance of uh, kicking on because they've built relationships outside the playing group. So... Are we doing enough to prepare for players for life beyond football, not just to earn um, money, but to but to just fit into society socially? I mean, did you notice any differences when you did you get a different perspective on all that when you retired, Anthony, or, or not? Oh, I think like all everyone's got a common interest, and that's football. But mm. if you look into every individual, everyone's going to be different personality-wise. So mm. someone's going to be quiet, someone's going to be shy, and then you're going to mm. have the guys that are that are out there and. And then the social butterflies and mm. want to be involved <laughs> with everything. Mm. Um, but then you'll have your family man as well. So there's a, although everyone loves the football mm. and has that common interest, everyone's going to be con- completely different on, on how they act as mm. well. And that also will flow into the workforce as well. Everyone's not going to be the same in the workforce. You might work mm. for the same company, but everyone's mm. going to be different. So mm. for me, you've got to respect everyone with that. And, mm. you know, some people think, they're football stars, they play rugby league, they play NRL, so we can go up to them, treat them how we want, they have to sign autographs, they have to be pleasant, everything like that, but mm. they're just like every everyone else, they'll have their bad days, they'll have their good, but mm. I know a majority of the time, even if they're having a bad day, they'll, they'll put on that smile and say hello and make that mm. effort, mm. because they know it's good for their brand themselves, and also good for their club brand, and also good for their NRL brand to grow that. Yeah, Steve, you had some things to say about a uh, column about that I did last week about just secrets. The there are a lot of secrets that maybe they're not necessarily worth keeping in in rugby league, and it kind of keeps everything on the down low a little bit. What, what, do, you, what do you make of all that? Yeah, look, I suppose it's um, you know one team or one coach or one club players trying to get the advantage over the other, but in essence, everyone's training the same. Mm. Um, Everyone practices the same plays, but it's who can execute it the better on the day. Um, every club has access to G, their own, like GPS. Every club has access to the same stats provider, as much video as they want. So at times, you know, I think it's you know, why hide away from the truth because mm. um, most blokes know each. You know, most clubs. You know, most players from other clubs know each other. They said unless you actually absolutely hate someone then uh, I don't really know what you're hiding. You know, coaches catch up for their coaches' conference and, mm. you know, a number of the coaches in our game at the moment have played alongside each other, have been, uh, have learnt their trade under another coach. You know, Michael Guide learned his trade under Craig Bellamy. You know, Jeff Toovey learned his trade under Des Hasler. 
Um, so, in, yeah, it's, it is one of those things. I, I sometimes question, you know, why, unless it's something really secretive um, that no one's seen or no one's heard of or no one's watched before, then mm. yes. But as I said, um, when I re- um, responded to the article last week was, you know, clubs have access to as much vision as they want, um, stats, um, you watch so much video, you know what blokes do, what blokes can do, um, and you know most teams train the same and practice the same skills and same plays. It's mm. just who can do it better and who can do it for the longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so at times I just think, yeah, exactly. I'm the same. Why? Why hide? Um, and as I said at the start, when we spoke at the start of the podcast about content, um, it's about giving it to the consumer, the fan, the member, what they want to see. They want to hear from the players. They want to hear from coaches they want to you know I know the article last week talking about you know for instance Jared Warrior Hargo's his bench press they want to know who's bench pressing yeah, yeah, they yeah. want to know who can run the fastest 40 minutes but they want to know who got the fastest time trial who got the best beat test score whatever it is so um, and look I don't think that's going to play any advantage or disadvantage mm. to any player um, no player would walk away with a big head <laughs> just because for instance Anthony Quinn's got the biggest bench press teams aren't going to target him or mm. whatever it is it's just Every, That's what the coach thinks, though, doesn't he? He's trying to protect. He's, think, he doesn't want to give his opposition coach anything to put up on the dressing room wall, you know. Nah, and but yeah. every team does bench press. Yeah. Every team does forty meter sprints. Every team does. Most teams do a beep test, mm. something similar, whatever it is. You know, every team's got similar equipment. So why um, at times I, I'm the same. Mm. Why uh, hide away from the secret? You know, some some things have to be kept in house, yeah. and some things won't. But as I said, majority of the time, everyone's doing the same thing. See, Steve's now involved in creating media content. Basically, so he's on the other side <laughs> of the fence. So he th- he thinks there should be there should be a change of culture. What do you think, Anthony? Um, like Steve said, everyone's doing the same things. I know uh, a lot of the players will keep things to themselves, and also the clubs. Um, from my point of view, it's only to not fuel the fire with some coaches mm. and give them ammunition from when they're playing. Mm. Like the article of um, Jared with the with the bench press. Yeah, you know, yeah. That's to me, if I was a coach, I'd be waiting for, until the roosters come around and be putting that up and that's the fuel for the game. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the benefits for the game of those stories in the middle of the off season, you know, they're much greater than the negative of just firing a few well, blokes up like, for one game during the season, aren't they? It's you know like the game can benefit from sort of positive stuff like that. Yeah, you know? of course uh, it can always benefit, especially uh, when there isn't any games being played. Is <laughs> uh, the main one. So and, and look, and every fan out there that's supporting the clubs, they want to know what's going on. Yeah. Um, and look, not playing now, and even if I was playing, I thought it'd be great. Um, that the article was out there about mm. about who was the strongest, you know, mm-hmm. because although I think that it can also fuel the fire, but it can also fuel the fire in a good way with yeah, players yeah. to now back try it up, and, try and better strive that. and better that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it creates even even in the preseason training, although you're competing against all your other teammates to mm. be the best you can be and competing against each other. It also creates a competition against other teams without even playing. Yeah, yeah. And it yeah, creates yeah. a competition within your club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, for instance, whoever had the fastest 40, if you knew that across all 16 clubs, how good it be coming up to the nines, the open space? Wouldn't you love to see that bloke who's got the fastest 40 metre sprint, you know, get into the clear and see him run? Um, mm-hmm. And as Anthony was saying, the competition within the club, you know, if 
Anthony's out bench pressing me, then I want to out bench press him. Yeah, you know, yeah. If he's out running me, I want to outrun him. So there's always mini competitions inside a club. But um, yeah, look, I think I don't, I think it's a very you know a story that you know people would love to see, love to mm. hear, and they'd be put to bed really. Like mm. um, it's I don't think it'd be a story that would drag on. Yeah. Now we've got uh, two uh, representative and uh, former Melbourne Storm wingers here, and we're not going to have time to talk about either of their careers because we've already been talking for about 35 minutes. So I'll just ask Anthony about uh, his current job at the RLPA and aside from scheduling what are the big concerns of players um, and what are the big sort of uh, uh, markers of, of your success in your job over the next few months I know scheduling's a big one is there anything else that's uh, on the agenda that's that's big that you're working on now um, at the stage we've just put a survey out to all the players so we'll be um, getting all that information back mm. and then and feeding it back to them to see what they prefer and mm. they think is is um, most important for our CBA review coming up in in March. Mm. Um, for me, working as the player development manager, um, my concern for for all the players working under that under that role is just making sure the welfare is looked after, and mm. um, and also regardless of um, either in trouble or not, that the RLPA can assist them in any way. Mm. Um, key markets for me throughout the year is for us to just be more engaged with the players like we've been doing the last couple of years. Um, you know, the players have jumped on board with the RLPA and the, our last CBA and our funding has been able to increase. Our staff's gone from two now to seven people. Um, Michael Crocker jumped on board last year and he's been working there for 12 months. Not Mick. You can't call him Mick, can you? He doesn't like being called Mix his alter ego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he might probably... Mix his alter ego after hours. <laughs> and after hours, Mick comes out. <laughs> and I was lucky enough to, to join the team um, last November, so we're excited with what the the year's going um, to bring, uh, not only the RPA but also the players, in, um, and we're going to make sure that we can deliver what the players really want. It's the end of our... If we keep talking, everyone's going to tune out. We've been talking for too long. Um, I'm not going to edit it, though. I'm going to throw it straight up after Des listens to it and vets it. He might edit it, actually. But uh, before we finish the podcast, I've got to acknowledge some donors. Gavin Rennick, Gareth Lawson, Leonard Andrews, Stephen Hurd, David Crellin, Ben Costello, John Flynn, and Andy O'Brien. Andy O'Brien from Fox donated so we could read a story about Fox. Um, so thanks uh, very much, guys. Our first ever all-rugby league uh, podcast on White Line Fever, and maybe we'll be doing some other rugby league podcasts uh, uh, with you this year, Steve, all things being well. And thanks for your time, Anthony. No worries. It's all good. Thank you, Steve. Yes. <laughs> Tune in for more. I got a white line fever. Going down, land down under. Going to turn around the corner, way down yonder. <laughs> and I'm not even going to try to rhyme anymore. <laughs> Michael Monroe here for White Line Fever. You get a chance, come and check us out live. We're going to rock your socks off and whatever, rock like fuck. That's what I say, okay? (laughs) Come on down and rock on. (laughs) 